Everything Sucks with Andrew, and we are here with James Rivera talking education and cooking with avocados. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, James, thank you for hanging out with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we get cooking. So, a little bit about myself. Uh, about, I guess, uh, two weeks ago I graduated from UTSA with my bachelor's degree in public. criminal defense attorney here in San Antonio. Nice. Uh, and I also do work with communities and schools. It's a non- national nonprofit. And I guess I met Andrew through student government at UTSA like pretty much everyone else has. We go way UTSA. back. <laughs> um, and I'm just living life at the moment. I'm on an air mattress right now. So I'm <laughs> living that post-college <laughs> graduate life. You know, I... Uh... I don't think that's totally bad because we were talking earlier and you say you've got a nice new apartment coming to yes. you. Yeah. Yes, we signed a lease last night. My first, I guess my first little document, I get to sign my life away in this long adulting life, I guess. But I move in July 15th. So I'm nice. excited. So tell us a little bit about your work in communities and schools. So my work with communities and schools, um, first of all, I'm an alumnus of the program. Okay. Uh, it's basically an, an at-risk pro, not an at-risk program a um, dropout prevention program. Sure. Uh, they're the nation's largest, they're most successful, and they serve 1.5 million students in about 25, 26 states plus D.C. Mm-hmm. And, and they're more of kind of like a bridge between the home and the school. So, you know, they help with anything from, you know, maybe you need clothes for school, you know, food for the holidays, and then also kind of like guidance. So you get a site coordinator, you get that one-on-one adult relationship. Sure. That sometimes, you know, you can't go to your family for a problem. Sometimes you go to this adult with your problem. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're there. And that makes a whole world of difference. And for the past two and a half years, I've been sitting um, on the Alumni Leadership Advisory Committee. And so what we do is we advise their national office on how to cultivate alumni relationships, on how to create programming for alumni, how to connect alumni from across the country. And also, we go to Capitol Hill in D.C. and lobby for education. I've been to Austin and to lobby. I've been here to City Hall in San Antonio. And also, more at the local level, I've been to about 10 or 12 different high schools and spoken with high school students about college and college experience. And also, I've mentored a student at Holmes High School. You're a busy guy. And I still have free time, believe it or not. I don't believe it. (laughs) Well, thank you for taking some of your free time to make some avocado toast, which is what we're going to be making tonight. Um, If you're listening in, um, we have some ingredients with us. We have 100% whole grain bread because we're healthy, apparently. (laughs) Um, Try to be healthy. Um, I fail miserably. Uh, We have one avocado, of course. We have some shredded cheese. We're using mozzarella, but you can use any kind of cheese you like. Uh, We have some uh, slim cut smoked turkey slices that we're we're gonna be putting on top of the toast. Um, Some chive, salt, pepper, um, and some strawberries to kind of garnish it and, and make it look pretty. You ready to get started? I'm gonna try. Okay, so do you know how to cut an avocado? No, but are you going to teach me? I am going to teach you. So here we go. Avocados are a little lopsided. They are flat at one point. So if we look at it, see, they're flat, flatter right here than they are right here. So what we want to do is we want to cut on the flattest part of the avocado to get it. So what you're going to do is cut 
right here and go all the way around and be very careful because... Oh, you trust me with this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, we don't have any kind of paramedics or any uh, first aid equipment in the general vicinity, so um, just be very careful. I guess kind of like that? Yeah, and just go all the way around the avocado. Um, I learned how to cut an avocado uh, last week, so I'm happy to be uh, taking that mantle and passing it along. Ta-da! Perfect. <laughs> Dude, look at this avocado. It is perfectly green and ripe and beautiful. Um, one way to take out the seed is to slam your knife in it and pop it out. Uh, we're not going to do that because my knife isn't sharp enough, so I don't want to accidentally not slam it into the seed and we slam it into my finger. fingers. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of my fingers. I would hate to see them go. Yeah. Okay, there we go. So if you can take that bowl and uh, bring it over close, the bigger bowl, and um, what we'll do is we're going to core this thing and take it out of its skin, and then we're gonna mash it. While we're doing this, um, James, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do in communities and schools, especially your work with high school students. So, mainly my work with high school students, when I go to these, these high schoolers and I talk with students about college and the college experience, it's kinda like I'm giving them a look into my life as a college student. Okay. And so every single time I meet a high schooler, there's two questions I always ask right off the bat is, what are your plans after high school? A majority sure. of them say they're going to college, some say military, others say go right into the workforce. Sure. A follow-up question to that is, all right, what are you most afraid of? I go to... Why do you ask that question, though? It seems kind of eerie. Because they need to accept the fact that, you know, there's, they have a fear and they need to address that fear. Okay. You know? And so... Why I ask that question is, you know, I'm, they more than likely have a fear, and with that fear, they probably have a question. Okay. So with one student, I asked was, you know, what are you most afraid of? She goes, being away from my family. Okay. And I said, well, where are you going to go to school? She goes, I'm going to go to Southern, Meth Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Sure, sure. And I said, that's a pretty long drive away. <laughs> I can relate to that because I am five hours away from my hometown. I'm five hours, five hours away from my mom. I'm a mama's boy, and I miss my mom every day. <laughs> Yo, mama's boys represent. I know you watching, mom. I love you. Um, and so I tell you, it's like it's a brand new environment. It's a huge environment. I went from a town of thirty-six thousand people to a campus of almost thirty-six thousand people. <laughs> it was a huge culture shock. I was just sure. the saddest little freshman you ever met. Sure. And there were days where I missed home. There were days where I missed my family. I don't have any family here in San Antonio. And so I told her it's okay to feel a little homesick, but also have to realize you're not going through this alone. Yeah. Reach out and make some, make some new friends every once in a while. So when you're talking to these students, it, you're relating to them incredibly because no doubt they have just a lot of apprehension because it's something completely different than high school, elementary, like college is completely different. Um, why, why is it important to get them to that next step, to get them to college? Because There are a lot of successful people who don't go to college, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Well, the reason why I tell them is it's just I'm not telling them don't go to college. I'm not telling them to not go to college. I'm telling mm -hmm. them if you do decide to go to college, here is some advice. Here is okay. some first-person real-world advice because I don't know how y'all's education experience were before going to college, but a lot of the advice I got was the typical Oh, the classes are going to be like this. Oh, it's going to be like this, and yada, yada, yada. Yep. 
when I go to these high schoolers, I give them the blunt, honest truth mm -hmm. to the questions that they have. You're going to have professors that are probably going to be the devil. You're going to have professors <laughs> that are going to be such a sweetheart. You're going to have friends that are going to be toxic. You're going to have relationships that are going to be toxic. You're yeah. going to have your good days, your bad days, both days. Sure. You're going to have days where you're going to want to drop out. And I'm giving them all of this not to scare them, but to prepare them. Mm. You know, I came into college two weeks. I was completely by myself. Sure. I was completely unaware of what the environment was going to be like. Granted, I could have went to college closer to home. My mom is going to talk about that to me later. She's going to tell, like, say I told you so, but I graduated. So yeah. <laughs> um, so that that's why I give them that real world first person experience. Mm. So uh, while you were sharing about yourself, uh, I mashed some avocados. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I was listening. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to get some of that pepper and salt. Um, and if you could do the honors, just put some of that in, you know, however much you want. Why, uh, this is why I didn't go to culinary school. So our previous guest, Drew Galloway, did go to culinary school. So he taught me some things. So um, I'm real excited about. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't go to culinary school. Okay. And then we're going to take a little bit of chive um, and sprinkle uh, that in. Okay. James, can you do me a favor and grab that pan real quick? We're going to put some bread on that and toast it in the oven for about five minutes. While you're uh, putting the bread on the pan, um, fear is a big part of our lives. We wish it weren't, but I think at one point in time, we've all experienced fear. Uh, there are a subset of students in our country who have a very acute fear um, because they're a part of the DACA program or used to be a part of the DACA program um, because their parents uh, were undocumented coming into the country. Uh, they've been living here being, uh, for all intents and purposes, the American lifestyle. Um, and there's a special fear that comes along with that. Um, can you talk a little bit about your interactions with uh, DACA students that you've spoken to and, and a little bit about how their fear is more augmented than other, other students you've spoken to? I think the fear of being dragged out of the country where you've been since you were a kid, I don't think, unless you do have that fear, I can't relate to that fear of anything. Sure. And so the, the DACA students I've spoken to that's just a fear that everything that they've ever worked for yeah. is just going to be suddenly taken away from them. They have to go back to their home country, which they've never been to before. Mm. And I would say I understand the fear, but I really don't. Okay. You know, my family, we come from Puerto Rico. Sure. My family history is my mom and my family came over on a plane from Puerto Rico to New York, and they took a bus from New York to Texas. Mm. You know? I can't relate to what a DACA person is feeling, sure. especially with deportation, with their family history. But I listened to the fears that they have. Mm. You know, it wasn't their fault that their families came over undocumented. It wasn't their fault that you know they were given this opportunity to to stay in this country legally. Yeah. You know, um, and then you have the flip side of that, mm -hmm. where you do have families that came over here legally. They went through that process, that extenuating process. Yep. Just to see your fellow countrymen and women at this swipe of a pen automatically get citizenship you know the children it's like is that fair no and that's kind of like that balance 
You know, because you do have... I've met people in the Hispanic community that are not happy about DACA. They wish it didn't happen mm-hmm. because they had to go through the process of citizenship. Mm. So, When you... In your experience speaking to uh, DACA students in particular, um, what kind of what kind of hopes do they have for being in this country? Do they acknowledge uh, the path that was taken for them to be in this country? Um, and what are their thoughts around that? In your experience speaking with them, in my experience speaking with them is you know you don't just get DACA you don't just stay on it for the rest of your life there are certain requirements that come along with it you know you can't commit a crime mm-hmm. you can't um, be involved in criminal activity you have to mm-hmm. you know stay in education and meet certain requirements and that's kind of you know the kind of work for it kind of sure. mentality you know just because you get DACA that, that's it you're done yeah. you, know, you gotta you gotta keep working for it but that just gives a protection DACA just gave protection to, to that select population mm-hmm that didn't have a choice of whether they wanted to stay in their home country or come here to the United States. And so, again, the the flip side to that is, what about the people that did come here, that did go through that strenuous process of citizenship? And so the middle ground that I've heard is, make it less strenuous. Why does it take 10 years to become a citizen? Mm. Why go through that entire process? But also, you know, kind of, we are a country of finite resources. We are a country of finite... Um, occupations of finite um, financials you know what do you have to offer you know because as productive members of society I mm-hmm. can't just go about my way and just do whatever I want sure you know it's just so it's kind of finding that balance between the two um, I, I definitely see that you have people here who Understand that those students, by no fault of their own, are here, and it seems almost close to inhumane to take them from their homes and their families and what they know and put them somewhere else. And then the other side of that is, I mean, whether it's right or wrong, better or worse, we do have laws in this country, and being undocumented in this country is not legal. And in a sense, DACA is not rewarding that, but is certainly doing nothing to enforce our laws. Just or not, they are our laws. Um, how do you reconcile that kind, of, that, that kind of disregard for our laws, but the humanity of what happens to these students and the fear, the very real fear you were talking about magnified in their daily lives? So I hate to sound like a certain president, but we are a nation of law and order, and that's the base fact. Every and I don't think I don't think that's bad to to say that, right? You associate it's, things with sure, know, yeah. That kind of gets into a whole other thing. But my my thing is, if he didn't say it, and someone else said it, people probably wouldn't be as ticked off. And so the on the left side, I hear it is inhumane to take people out of the country sure, who sure. are here undocumented. And I get that. You know, we're a country, one of the most prosperous prosperous countries in the world. But we're not the only one. Yep. You know? But also, it is inhumane to take people who have worked their entire lives. And on the other side of that argument, I hear two arguments. One is undocumented immigrants are freeloaders, lazy, they only come here for the money. Those same people are also saying, oh, they're coming here and taking American jobs. Well, I'm thinking, how can you be stealing American jobs and being lazy at the same time? 
something just doesn't add up with that. So what is the basis of your argument? You know, these people come here, you always say, well, they need to work for their citizenship. And yet when they do work for their citizenship, you scrutinize them even more saying, well, that job could have went to someone else. Well, it didn't go to somebody else. It went to them who worked for it. What do you think the basis of that argument is? I guess the basis of that argument is those people who feel that way. Something, they probably had their jobs taken away and given, you know, shipped overseas. You know, Mm. they have this kind of just pride in the United States. We're very prideful in the United States. Sure. Especially if you go. Love it. You know, America chugging a beer and waving the American flag in a pickup truck on the beach. Um, My ideal weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Those kind of, we're very prideful in our country. Sure. And these people see these people from another country coming in and trying to take that away or taking away their opportunity to be prosperous doesn't sit well with them. And I can understand that. James, do you honestly think in your experiences that that is what those people are trying to, that's what undocumented immigrants are trying to do? Answer that. I'm going to take the toast out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let me grab a, let me grab a, a, a cloth here to, uh, to get this out. But please continue. Yeah. So I'm not going to say... It'll be very ignorant of me to say that not every immigrant comes here with good intentions. Okay. You know, you do have your select few who come here with bad intentions. I think we all have to, to come to, to realize that. I, I, yeah, and I think President Trump is, has really highlighted that more than anything else. But that's not the only part of the picture. The other part of the picture is, you know, you have people who are escaping inequalities in their home country. Yeah. You have people escaping poverty and being prob because you Mexico, Central America, South America, mm-hmm. they're very impoverished, really only thing standing between them and Canada. So would you rather go to Canada or would you rather come to the United States? I think I'd rather come to the United States, especially of how diverse we are as a country. Mm. But I don't think they come here with the intention of taking someone's life away. I think they come here with the intention to build a life for themselves. That's also excluding you know, the cases of they came here just to pillage and plunder like a pirate. Yeah. And yeah. And, and the research shows and, and the data shows that that is a very small set of the entire population. And so you shouldn't stigmatize an entire group of people. You should identify, you know, the, the bad apples in the batch. But just because you find one or two in a batch of 100 doesn't mean you throw the entire thing out. The conversation that we have with our elected officials is what dictates the laws that we're talking about. Why are we even talking about these things? Because they're laws. Whether we adhere to them or not, they're on the books. Um, Why is it important to have an open conversation, especially about education with law? I mean, I go to work eight, you know, seven to four every day. I think about lawmakers maybe once every month. Um, Why is it important to, uh, to have that dialogue with them? Uh, sometimes I wish I just did not get involved in politics because I have days <laughs> where I hate it. I really do. But then I have days where I love it. Like when I was up on, in D.C. working as an intern, I loved it, even though I was there with DACA, the tax stuff, the health care stuff, the sexual harassment stuff. Sure. I still love politics because whether we like it or not, whether it's national policy, state policy, local policy, it affects our everyday life more than we think. You know, everything from very minute to putting on your blinker for 200 feet before changing a lane sure. to not going over the speed limit to every, every other thing is to not kill somebody else or to not you know, have a possession of a controlled substance. substance. Makes Policy sense. affects our daily lives every single day. And lobbying for those policies, gives, it gives you a sense of purpose that 
I was involved in the legislative process. I, working up on the Hill, I saw the legislative process in person. You know, I saw it. I got to run a bill to the House floor one day, and it was up on C-SPAN the next day, and I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone can say that. So you were on C-SPAN? I was also on C-SPAN during a congressional hearing. Whew. I know, right? And Two so, steps away from movie star status, man. That's, that's good stuff. And so it's just, you know, giving you that sense of, you know, I'm passionate about something. Why not go to the, the head of the serpent and plead my case for a certain topic that I'm passionate about? So education is what you're passionate about. Um, talk about your experience in conversations with lawmakers uh, about education. And while you talk about that, let's spread some avocado on this toast. Cool. So the conversations I mainly have with lawmakers was that, you know, especially when I go up and talk with CIS, we weren't just talking about CIS. CIS is community and schools, yes, correct? Great. We were also talking about, you know, City Year, AmeriCorps, and a lot of other programs. That are publicly and federally funded, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, some of the funding does come from federal levels, and, and other parts of it come from state and local levels. Okay. And the other part is fundraising, which is a whole other topic. Sure. Um, and um, just, they're very result-driven. I go to them. It's not just sharing my story about how CIS changed my life and how it changes, you know, other people's lives. Not saying, you know, oh, we offer this service to students. We offer this service to students. It's also, you know, does it work? Yes. And I tell them it does work because 99% of their students go on to the next grade and 95% graduate high school. That's fantastic. Show me another better statistic than that <laughs> with a dropout prevention program, and that's why they're probably the most successful one. No, they are the most successful one in the nation. Sure. And so that's how, you know, I, when I worked on the Hill, I saw meetings with staffers last five minutes, and the staffers just throw the paper away. So they were like, that was nothing. That yeah. program does nothing. And I've also seen others, and I've been a part of others, that lasted 15 minutes. By the way, if you can go up to Capitol Hill and get 15 minutes with a staffer, you are doing something right with your life. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, they're very result, like, especially when you meet with the staffers, like, why should they bring that to the member of Congress? Sure. You know, why should the member of Congress vote yes on it? Why should they vote no on it? And stuff like that. <clears throat> if you can grab the salt and pepper, we're going to add a little bit more to these guys. Um, just to... Uh, Hair. Okay, we'll switch. So we put the avocado, this is just straight avocado with chives, salt, and pepper. We put it on the toast. Um, and now what we're going to do is put some smoked turkey that we had uh, and in an artistic way, because we're classy people over here on Net Everything Sucks. Um, that's why we call ourselves Not Everything Sucks. Uh, we're going to place the turkey on the, go ahead, on the toast as much as you like. And then right after we do that, we're going to put some cheese um, on our toast. So this is like avocado toast plus. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. <clears throat> is all lobbying bad? I think lobbyists get a pretty bad rap. You know, no one's <laughs> like, man, you know what I love? Lobbyists. You know, uh, tell me if all lobbyists are bad. Not, just like not everything sucks, not every lobbyist sucks. There's, <laughs> there's an idea for a podcast out there. Um, people think it. lobbyists, especially in the past couple of months, you think of the NRA, NRA and their kind of lobbying. Okay. I, we had a discussion in my cohort, you know, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear lobbying? First thing is money. 
Sure. You know, but rarely, if any, have I been a part of a case or I've heard of a case where, you know, lobbyists pay off members of Congress. I know that's true in some cases. Sure. But there is good lobbying. I've met people who were lobbying on behalf of healthcare, like lobbyists like me. We're all okay here. <laughs> Everything is fine. You know, lobbyists like me who <laughs> lobby for education, you know, it's just all a case by case basis, basically. You know? So we're putting the avocado toast back into the oven, but we changed the setting from bake to broil, um, which is important because it's gonna give our cheese a really nice melted uh, look on top. These, these things are gonna be so good, um, I hope. <laughs> um, James, you're a first-generation college student. Obviously, higher education gives access and opportunities to people that they couldn't dream about otherwise. What does that access to college mean to you? It means I can go further in life. Of course, you have the cases where people who didn't go to college, they're doing very well in life, and that's all power to them. If sure. you don't feel like college is for you, then it's probably not for you. Mm -hmm. You know? But... Not only does it give me the opportunity to just go farther in life than other people in my family, even though I still push, you know, my family to go to college. Yeah. Um, it also sets a standard, not only for myself, but for my family and everyone that looks looks up to me and looks to my family is like, sure. oh, they got a college graduate in the family. That looks good. <laughs> and also, it's just an unbelievable type of thing. You know, my family came here for my graduation. Yeah. And it just. It was unreal. Granted, it took forever because I was with the College of Business. Yeah. Um, it's a big college. It, that was a big college. They took up half the row, and I'm public college <laughs> all the way in the back. Um, but it's just, it was unbelievable. I'm still in shock today that I can say I have a bachelor's degree. Talk a little bit about communities and schools for people who maybe aren't aware or might want to get involved. So Communities and Schools is a national nonprofit. Um, they operate in 26 states plus D.C. They serve 1.5 million students. And how they do this mm -hmm. is it, it's a bridge between the home and the school. So they have a site coordinator sitting in K through 12th grade that offers that student who's at risk of graduating a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a caring adult. Mm -hmm. That is the one thing that throw, throw away the money and throw away the programs that they offer. Mm -hmm. It's all about that one-on-one -on -one caring adult that they might not be able to have at home. Sure. It's mostly minority students whose homes are broken, whose probably they don't have someone to go to at home with their problems, or they don't have anyone at home who can relate, sure. or they straight up just don't want to listen to their problems. That side coordinator kind of just gives that one-on-one, it's like, hey, I'm here for you every step of the way. And they offer everything from food, clothes, to access to resources in the community, including like college tours. Like I went on my first college tour in seventh grade, and it was amazing. We're about to take out our avocado toast plus. You can stick that in there. Um, if you could cut these strawberries um, into little slices, we'll use this as our, our garnish around. Um, as you carefully cut strawberries, and don't, <laughs> don't worry about it looking too pretty, just, just however you'd like to do it. Um, we're called Not Everything Sucks. Uh, James, we've talked a lot about policy, DACA, education, um, lobbying. James, what doesn't suck? <laughs> um, what doesn't suck? Fighting for what you believe in. Okay. You know, everyone, 
maybe you're not an education type of person. Maybe you could, you know, you're passionate about economics, the economy. I've met people who are, you know, apparently there's also a lobbying group or lobbying section of people for sugar, believe it or not. <laughs> um, it, those lobbyists are sweet. The, oh, God, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I had to do it. Yeah. And so just being involved in policy doesn't suck. You know, it's fighting for what you believe in because this stuff does affect you. You know, regardless of what you might hear in the news one day, it's just, you have to come to fight that really does affect Some us. strawberries on that. And it's just, you know, politics doesn't suck. Not always. No, not always. <laughs> not always. We're about to, to close out here, James. Um, if you didn't notice, oh, you're putting them on your... Okay. Oh, I was not supposed to. <laughs> I mean, if you want strawberries on your that didn't happen. turkey and cheese, that's all you, man. <laughs> um, I think yours looks really good. We're going to display James's avocado and toast. This is avocado and toast by James. You know, um, I really appreciate you coming and talking and hanging out with us. I appreciate everyone who's been out there listening and watching us uh not everything sucks, and we're glad we talk. We're able to talk a little bit about why. Thanks so much. See you soon.